The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. One of the truths about uncertainty is that it's in periods of uncertainty in our lives that God has the unique ability to either get or to, to possibly regain our undivided attention. In fact, our, your story, probably most of us would say that our story, or at least part of our story, is that while we were in a, a difficult period of life, a period of uncertainty in our lives, either a, a relational situation or maybe a, a job loss or maybe a, a, an illness of some sort, that it was during that difficult situation, a period of uncertainty, that, that, that caused us to kind of pause from what it is that we're normally doing in life and, and maybe turn our attention and, and focus our attention in, in God's direction. In fact, many times it's when life feels like it's spinning the most out of control that we, what we find is that our attention is most focused on God. And because of that, God tends to get more done, not only in our lives personally, but I would even say in our lives nationally. He tends to get more things done in periods of uncertainty than when things are kind of moving slow and steady and everything's calm. Now, why, why exactly is that? I think the truth is, is that many times we just don't simply learn a whole lot about ourselves or about life in this world or even about our Heavenly Father when everything's easy. I think actually the, the truth is, and maybe you've never thought about this, but most of the time when things are easy and calm and everything is fine, those are actually the periods in life where we actually tend to drift away from God. And there can certainly be bad things that happen in life that cause us to question God or cause us to doubt God or cause us to have have, have you know, wonder what it is that God's doing. But even in those situations, even when we're doubting God, we're still focused on Him. Our attention is still kind of turned in His direction. This is, this is why for many years while I was doing student ministry and I have older kids, especially upper high school kids and college kids, ask me, you know, is it okay to have questions and doubts about God? And I would say, absolutely it is. Because doubts always lead to questions and questions lead to answers. Answers lead to truth, and truth always, 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 truth always points to Jesus. And see, that's the very same reason why this book is more relevant in our world today than ever. Especially if you're here today and you're dealing with issues of uncertainty or fear or anxiety in your own life, in your world, in your family situation. Because this book and the events that are recorded in this book, every single one of them were written during periods of and and by people who were experiencing tremendous amounts of uncertainty in their lives and in this world. In this book, it really is a record of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness both to people who were faithful, but also it's a record of God's faithfulness to people who were faithless. It's a record of men and women who, in the midst of uncertainty, discovered that God was actually present, that God was actually active, that God was actually still working and at work in this world and in their lives. And so this record, this book, is actually our story. Because it's the story of what it is that our God does, how it is that he cares for people in the midst of uncertain times. 
Now, if you were here with us last week and you know that the, the way that we ended the message last week was actually by looking at a section of Scripture where God makes an incredible promise to us because he says this. He says that, that we know that in all things, in all things, so that's in job loss, that's in, you know, am I going to ever meet somebody? Am I going to get into a good school someday? You know, am I going to get to sell my house? Am I, what, what's my career going to be? Am I ever going to meet someone? How, how are my test results going to turn out? That in all things that God is working, that God is at work, and that God is at working, God is working for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. So, so the Scriptures actually teach... And the Bible reflects the fact, and, and many of us have experienced personally, that God is at work in all circumstances of our lives, and He tends to get more done in our lives during periods of uncertainty. And so knowing all that, the question I would have us look at and think about this weekend as we're together is simply this, what is it, what is it then that we're supposed to do while we wait? I mean, what am I supposed to do when my uncertainty becomes even more uncertain while I'm sitting next to the phone waiting for it to ring, while I'm waiting for those test results to come back, when I find myself getting lonelier and lonelier? What is it that we're supposed to do? What is it that I'm supposed to do in that space between what it is I'm experiencing right now and that story that I'm finally going to get to be able to tell someday? See, the great news is that God actually does give to us some very, very specific instructions in this book about what it is that He would have us do while we wait and while it is that we experience the uncertainty that comes in life in this world. Now, uh, the truth is, I don't know what each one of you think about when you think about this book. I don't know if you view it as the inerrant and the inspired Word of God, or if your view of this book was determined by some college English class that you had years ago where your professor told you that it was really nothing more than just a collection of myths and folklore and legend and fairy tales. And so because of that, you've, you've never really taken what it is that this book says to you very seriously. And so consequently, you've got some real questions about whether or not you can actually trust whether or not you can actually believe what it is that this book says to you. Now, if that's where you're at this morning, if that's how you feel when you think about the Bible, then I, I certainly understand that. And you, you, you definitely need to spend whatever time is necessary to, to figure out what it is that you actually believe about what this book is saying to you. But if that's where you're at today, if that's what you think about when you think about the Bible then all I would ask that you would do is, as we're here together this morning, as we're looking at what it is that this book says to us that we're supposed to do during times of uncertainty, all I would ask is that you would simply listen and that you would think about this. If this isn't the answer, I mean, then, then this, if this isn't true, then what are you going to do? Because if this isn't true, then really your only other option left is to worry, right? I mean, your only other option is to worry and maybe look for some way to take the edge off every once in a while. Your only other option is to allow fear and anxiety to control you and to drive you. Because if there is no God and if there is no way to know what it is that God is doing, if there's no way to know what it is that God feels about you, what it is that He thinks about you, 
what his attitude towards you really is, if there is no way for you to know that, then the truth is you actually really do have a lot to worry about because that means it is all up to you to figure out. And that means then that there really is no one who is in control. And so there's a lot to be worried about if this book isn't actually true. And just like we said last week, see how it is that we actually respond to God during periods of uncertainty. That, that is going to have a tremendous amount of impact on how it is that we, we respond to the uncertainty that we experience in our lives. We respond to the people in our lives, how we respond to the emotions that we face in our lives. And so if you're here today and you don't know what it is that you actually believe about what it is that this book has to say to you, all I would ask is that you would listen. Because if you would ever come to the place where you would consider the possibility that perhaps, perhaps there really is a God who knows your name. Perhaps there really is a God who cares about everything that you experience in this, in this life. Perhaps there really is a God who cares enough about the uncertainty that you face in this life that he really would send his son into this world so that despite all the uncertainty that you're experiencing right now, that your future could be absolutely certain. See, I want you to know that this God's concern for you and his love for you, it goes way beyond simply heaven for you someday. And so because of that, he's actually given you this book so that you can have his thoughts, so that you can know his feelings, so that you can understand his heart for you in all times, and especially during periods of uncertainty or difficulty that you face in this life. Take out your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 4. Now, if you're using one of those Bibles in the seat back in front of you, we're going to be, Philippians chapter 4 is actually found on page 1,830. And before we get into what it is that we're going to read together this morning, I want to give you a little, little context about, about what it is we're going to read. Now, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this much like he wrote most of the New Testament that, that we have. And, and before we actually hear what he's going to say to us, it's incredibly important we understand the circumstance that the Apostle Paul found himself in as he wrote these words. Because, because if you don't understand that, then there's going to be this tendency for, for many of us probably that when we actually hear what it is he's going to say, we're going to want to just kind of quietly close up the book and we're going to want to put it away because we're going to think to ourselves, you know, that's, that's really nice. That, that's, Paul, that's, that's really that's nice. But you have no idea what it is that I'm experiencing in my life right now. Paul, that's cute. I appreciate what it is that you're saying, but obviously you have no clue what it is that I'm facing. You have no clue what it is that I'm experiencing. Paul, you have no idea what it is that I'm actually wrestling with in my life right now. That's how many of us are going to experience these words if we don't understand the circumstance in which the Apostle Paul himself was in as he wrote these actual words we're going to read. Because what had happened was this. The, the Apostle Paul, after Jesus rose from the dead, Paul, the, 
after he, Jesus leaves the apostles, it's Paul who actually goes all throughout what we think of as Europe. And all throughout Europe, he's planting all these different churches. One of the first churches he plants is this church in the city of Philippi, which we're going to read about in just a moment. But then he goes all throughout Europe planting churches. When he's done, he heads back to Jerusalem. Now, when he gets to the, back to the Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders there, they're incredibly angry at Paul because Paul used to be one of them. And here he is traveling all throughout the world, telling all these people who are not Jewish that they were actually loved by the Jewish God, that they could actually worship the Jewish God, that, that, that they could be saved by the Jewish God, but they didn't have to be Jewish. They didn't have to follow any of the Jewish laws. They didn't have to follow any of the Jewish ceremonies. They didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to eat Jewish food. They didn't have to do any of those things. That Instead, that, that this God had actually sent his son into this world to take care of all of that for them, and so really the only thing that they needed to do was simply receive Jesus as their Savior and then Jesus took care of everything for them. Now this made the Jewish leaders incredibly angry at Paul. They were furious with him because they felt like they, that he had hijacked Judaism and that he was corrupting it somehow. And so when he gets back to Jerusalem, they're waiting for him at the temple. And when he shows up, they organize a mob to actually attack him and to try to beat him to death. Now the Romans, they see what's happening, and so they rush in and they break up this giant mob and they pull, pull all these people off of the Apostle Paul, and they actually end up arresting Paul, but they do that as a way to try to protect him and save him from this mob. But as a result of that, he ends up on a ship headed to Rome to face trial in Rome. So, so think about this for a moment. Paul is the, the victim of a mob beating, and he's beaten so severely that they actually leave him for dead. He's whipped, he's shipwrecked, and now he's the one, even though he's the victim, he's the one who ends up in chains on a ship headed back to Rome to face trial. While he's going to Rome on this ship, the ship is blown, it's caught in a storm, and it's blown out into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea where it's lost at sea for two weeks. The ship is so badly battered and broken, it finally washes ashore where Paul is shipwrecked with the rest of the crew for three months. The whole time, he's in chains. He's chained physically to a Roman guard that whole time. Somehow they manage to finally get the crew and Paul back to Rome. But when they get to Rome, the courts are so backlogged that it's going to take two years for his trial to ever even come up. That whole time he's in chains, under house arrest, imprisoned in Rome. And it's during that time that he's waiting for his own trial that he knows is going to ultimately end in his execution that he actually takes and he writes these letters to all these different churches that he's planted in Europe including this letter that he writes to the people in the city of Philippi. So it's this man who's been beaten, shipwrecked, marooned, waiting his own execution in chains, who writes these words to us, and he says to us in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Which again, if you're in a situation of uncertainty or difficulty right now, or if you're suffering in a, in, in a situation or you're watching uh, someone who you love and who, who you care about deeply, if you're watching them suffer, 
I mean, you hear those words and it makes you just close up the book and want to throw the book across the room, doesn't it? But see, what the Apostle Paul does is he, 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 if all he said to us was just simply rejoice always, then maybe that would actually be the appropriate response. But that's not what he says. Instead, he adds these three little words in there, in the Lord. Now, let me help you think about what this is actually saying to us. Because, because if I were to actually take those words out, and if I were to put something else in that place, in that sentence, then, then every single one of us, we would understand immediately what that verse is saying to us. Because if I were to say, you know, rejoice in your new job always, or rejoice in your new car. If I were to say, you know, rejoice he called you back or she called you back. Rejoice that you got a raise. Rejoice that you made the team. I mean, every single one of us, we would immediately understand what it is that that's saying to us, wouldn't it? Wouldn't we? Because all of us understand, we all know what it means to rejoice in something. It means to to. to to focus on that good news to the point in which the, the emotions that, that we are experiencing because of that good news, that they actually fill us up in a way that other people actually see around us and they ask us, hey, what are you so happy about? And we say, well, I got a new car or I made the team or I got a raise or I got accepted. And so Paul is saying, Paul's telling us, I want you to actually spend whatever time is necessary to, to capture the emotion that's associated with the fact that God's grace, that God's mercy, that God's love, that that has actually come into your life. Paul's saying to us, I want you to pause, I want you to stop, and I want you to allow the reality of what it is that God has actually done for you. I want you to focus on that, he says, so much that you actually begin to feel the emotions that should be associated with such incredibly good news. Which means reflecting on God's goodness, His grace, His mercy in our lives until our emotions actually catch up with that reality. Now again, the truth is, many times, this is very difficult for us to do, isn't it? Because the truth is, in our world, there are so many other things that are, it's so easy for those other things to actually capture our joy. And so, what the Apostle Paul is saying to us as we face uncertainty in our lives, is that now, maybe now is the time. Maybe while your circumstances are uncertain, maybe now is the time to actually, you know, refocus where it is that your joy is actually found in. Maybe, maybe it should be pulled back from all those other things. And, and maybe you need to focus on where it is that your joy should have been found in the whole time. He's saying, I want you to pause. I want you to discipline yourself. I want you to be intentional about learning how to rejoice in God's goodness, rejoice in His grace, rejoice in His mercy in your life. Now, you may not have ever thought about this before. But see, the truth is, this has a lot to do with why it is that we sing whenever it is that we come together. See, the reason that we sing is because the words that we sing about 
They remind us of what it is that our God has actually done for us, what it is that He has given to us, what it is that He has gifted us with. And they remind us about those things in a very emotional way. And so whenever we sing together, we are rejoicing about the goodness and the grace, the love, the mercy, the forgiveness that God has actually brought into our lives. We are rejoicing about what it is our God has done for us. And then look what he says next, because you don't really expect that this is what the Apostle Paul would say in the next verse. And he says, let your gentleness or your kindness be evident to all. In other words, he's saying, don't let your circumstances, I mean, don't let the uncertainty of your circumstance, don't let that erode who you are. Don't let that erode your character. Don't let that erode your integrity. He says, don't allow your temper to become so short because of the uncertainty that you're experiencing right now that you begin to destroy the relationships that you have with the people that you care about most. Because if your joy, if that's only associated with good circumstances, and if your joy, if that's only associated with good times, as those circumstances change, he says, then, then so will your character. And your character, Paul says, your character, that's a result of what it is that God has done inside of you. That's a result of what it is that God has done inside your heart. The grace that he's given to you. And so he says to us, he says, I, I don't want your character to be shaped by something as uncertain as the circumstances that you face in your life right now. After all, your character is a reflection of God's grace in you, what it is that he's done in you. And so he re reminds us, remember, the Lord is near. In, in other words, he hasn't gone anyplace. So therefore, do not be anxious about anything, Paul says. In other words, think, or think about it this way maybe. Do not be anxious about anything. Which again, I, I realize if you're in the midst of, of uncertainty right now, maybe that's not very much, you know, very helpful advice, is it? In fact, the truth is you probably hate it when people say that to you. makes you want to slap them, doesn't it? They say, do not worry. Don't be anxious. And you think to yourself, you know what? That's such great advice. I don't know why I didn't think about that myself. You're right. I just won't worry anymore. That is brilliant. I don't know why I didn't think about that before. Thank you so much for giving me that wonderful advice. I just won't worry about it. So the Apostle Paul, he says to us, do not be anxious about anything. But understand, that's not where he leaves us. Because it's in the next two verses that he actually helps us to see. He wants us to experience, right? He wants us to actually to understand what it is that, that he's going to say to us. It's in these next two verses that he tells us 
how to experience the uncertainty in life, how to face difficult times without allowing those difficult times to erode our character, or more importantly, to erode the joy of our salvation. And he doesn't simply say to us, just stop worrying. Listen to the rest of what he says. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, so this is in every marriage situation, every family situation, every political situation, every national situation, every job situation, every friendship situation, in every situation, every single time you are overwhelmed with anxiety, he says, whenever you're overwhelmed with worry, whenever you feel like you're actually going to fall apart because what it is that you're facing in your life right now, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not telling you, just don't worry about it. What I'm saying is, instead of worrying that God, he would actually have us do this instead. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, if the way you read that is, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything pray then you're missing the meaning of what Paul's actually saying to us. But see, the truth is, that is how most of us read this verse. We just stop at the word prayer, and we think to ourselves, that's not helpful. I mean, pray, what do you think I have been doing? I've, I've prayed more in the last month than I have in my entire life. Pray. I'm constantly praying. God, help me. God, do something. God, save me. God, send something. God, God, show up somehow, do something somehow. If you're going to tell me that the answer to all my anxiety of, in life is, is pray, that's not helpful because I'm already doing that. But again, that's not what the Apostle Paul says. He doesn't stop with the word prayer. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now that one particular word there that's highlighted that, that we translate in English as the word present, it's actually a very interesting word. In, in the Greek language, that word is better translated with the, the idea of to make known or to reveal, as in to reveal a a mystery. And so what the Apostle Paul is actually saying to us in this verse is, he goes, I don't want you to simply pray on the way home from the doctor, Lord, please heal me. I mean, that's fine, and that's that's a great place to start. But instead what he says is, I I want you to actually spend the time necessary because because this is what you're going to do instead of worry. He says, I want you to spend the time necessary to understand for yourself but then also to reveal to God what it is that you truly, at the deepest level, to reveal to God what it is that you truly desire. Yeah, on the surface, God, I want a job, but, but what's, what's actually behind that? God, on the surface, you know, I, I want to sell my house, but what is it that, that, that's driving that? The Apostle Paul says, don't simply tell God about what it is that you want. That's a great place to start. Instead, I want you to tell him 
What's going on deep inside your heart? Place into your heavenly Father's hands, he says, that which only his hands are actually capable of handling. See, Paul says that's actually the way to respond to anxiety. That's the way to respond to the uncertainty that every single one of us that we face in our world. Because uncertainty has this this unique ability to, to surface in us our deepest insecurities. And it brings out our greatest fears, doesn't it? And the truth is, very rarely do we pray at the level of insecurity or fear. Most of the time. Most of the time when we pray, we simply pray at the level of, of God, this is what I want. God, help me, bless me, give me, and oh, by the way, help me find my car keys in Jesus' name, amen, right? And Paul says, that's fine. That's fine. You can pray that way if you want to. But that's not going to help you with your anxiety. That's not going to help you as you worry. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to pray, and I want you to petition, And I want you to be grateful. And then I want you to reveal to God what is going on inside your heart. I want you to tell God what it is that you want and why it is that you want it. God, to be honest, this is what I'm afraid is going to happen if you don't do this. And God, this is what I truly desire from you in my heart. And God, if this doesn't happen, then I don't know. See, that, Paul says... Okay, that is where we're really trying to get to. God says, that's what I want to hear from you. What's going on inside your heart? Because insecurity in life, it not only has a way of, or uncertainty in life not only has a way of, of surfacing our deepest insecurities and our deepest fears, but also revealing our values. And when our prayers finally move past simply asking God, you know, help me find a job, give me this, bless me, help me, show me. When our prayers finally move past all of those very legitimate things on the surface, and we actually get to those things that that are really driving our fear, we get to those things that are really driving our anxiety, those things that are really driving the worry that we experience in our life. Things like my concern for my family, my, my need to feel important, my, my need to be viewed by my friends or my peers in a certain way or maybe by my kids, my fear that maybe God doesn't know what's actually going on in my life, or maybe worse, He just doesn't care. Paul says, go ahead, I I want you to dig all that up. I want you to bring all that to your heavenly Father. It's all there anyway, Paul says, so pretending like it's not, that's not going to help anything. He said, I want you to bring all those things that answer those questions. You know, why is this such a big deal to you? Why are you so concerned about that? Why is this so important to you, Paul says. I want you to bring all of that to your heavenly Father. So that, in verse 7, the peace of God. The peace of God. 
Not the peace of circumstance. Not the peace of everything went fine today, so therefore I had peace. See, we've all had that before. That's not what Paul says. Not the peace that everything got done in time and everyone came home on time, so therefore I had peace today. Not that kind of peace, Paul says. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, literally the kind of peace that no person can understand. Peace which may not even make any rational sense given what it is that you are experiencing in your life right now. The peace of God will guard your hearts, and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, will guard means to stand watch over. And many times what it is that we try to do is is we try to get God to stand guard over our jobs. We try to get him to stand guard over our circumstances or or our finances. We, We try to get God to stand guard over all these things in our lives. But what God says to us is that he wants to do is he wants to give us his peace. He wants to give that to you. He wants to give it to your heart and to your mind. Not to your bank account. Not to your job. Because what God has promised to do is to give you his peace. What God has promised to do isn't to change our circumstance. It's to change our hearts. What God has promised to give us isn't peace because our circumstances have changed. It's peace because our hearts have been changed by him. It's peace because he's given to us his grace. It's peace because he's given to us his mercy. Peace because he's given to us his love. Peace because he's given to us his son, Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for, for some of us here this morning, this is a, a reminder of a time in life that we experienced, a time that we remember, a time in which we experienced something that was so dark and we were so desperate that we really had no other place to run to. We had no place to go. And somehow, in the midst of that, Father, you actually found us there. You found us in the middle of that uncertainty. Father, you actually brought us through. You carried us through that. Father, you brought in an indescribable way your peace into our hearts and into our minds. Father, not the kind of peace that the world gives us, not the peace that comes even from an answered prayer, but the peace that comes from your presence with us. And Father, for others of us here today, this is a reminder of what it is that we're experiencing right now. We're scared. 
questioning, we're doubting. And Father, the truth is we're wondering what's next. And so it's in all those situations that I would pray and ask specifically that you would send your peace to our hearts and to our minds in your Son, Jesus. And that for the rest of us, that we would actually be the body of Christ in this place, in all those situations. That we would be the ones to listen. That we would be the ones to care. That we would be the ones to give a hug and to love each other. Those people in our lives and in our world who need to be reminded that you really do care. Father, that we can actually trust you. That you are always faithful. And even though we may be completely overwhelmed, that your grace, it will carry us through. That, Father, you have reached down into the muck and the mire and you have pulled us out of the pit. You have placed into our lips and into our heart a new song. A song that we sing to you. A song of joy. A song that reminds us of our salvation. Father, that we would actually rejoice that we would celebrate that even though our circumstance is not good, that you are good, that you are God, that you are with us, and that you love us. Father, all this we pray in the amazing and powerful name of Jesus.